pray, and then um, we'll chat chat for a little bit. Um, Father, uh, I just thank you for Bob and just for what he shared earlier. I I was reminded, Lord, um, of like TVs, like you know, 20 plus years ago that when you didn't get on the right channel, you had that static kind of going on. And um, I feel like it was so distracting. And sometimes, like in life, I just feel like I have all the static kind of going on in the background that is distracting me from you. And, um, Lord, I, I would just humbly ask in, in Jesus' name this morning that um, you would just tune out that static for all of us, me included, and um, that you'd help us to focus in on you. Um, to hear from you and to be changed by you um, so that our hope isn't in anything but you, Jesus, and because it's truly in you, um, we are different. And um, we come out of here um, prepared um, after having like spent time with you. We are prepared for whatever you have um, for us this week. So, Lord, this time is yours, and, and we are yours. Um, please just help us to hear you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So um, the past few weeks, we've been working through the book of Ruth, uh, and that has been awesome. We came to, to chapter four last week and kind of closed out, and I, I was um, talking with, with actually with Mickey um, last week, and he said, you know, sometimes I think it's just maybe really helpful to, to go back and to cover a few of the topics from, from the book overall that really tie into the gospel, into into Jesus, particularly when it's a, like an Old Testament book, you know, like tying things into to where we are with, with Jesus. And I said, you know, that's a really great idea. Um, and he he actually, I'm going to give credit, because like he and I really pulled this sermon together. To, together. We did it together. Uh, and I am quite thankful for that. You know, it's it's fun to be in a body of believers where, we can feel comfortable enough and safe enough to say, hey, you have something to offer. I don't have to have everything figured out. And so together, we can do better than we could do individually. And um, Mickey offered a lot of what is going to come out this morning. And so I guess if you don't like it, you can take it up with him. Like that kind of, you know, gives me a little buffer this morning. No, no, no. Yeah, this is going to be really good is what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but in all seriousness, I am incredibly grateful to Mickey and to the Lord for, for blessing us with such a, just a wonderful body of believers here and that, that we can work together. So um, I've been told that, that during battle, um, at least years ago before drones and aerial surveillance, that um, you, military units would try to get someone up on a hill or a mountain in order to kind of like get a, a better picture of, of the battlefield, like what, what's happening down there, so that um, you could know where to place troops and where the other troops were and, and really have a, a very a good plan of attack uh, in, in, in the battle. You could know where your folks are, where, where the friendlies are, where the enemies are, and you just know how it's best to proceed. Because down in the valley or down on the field, when you're in the thick of it, you can't see everything that you need to see to fight well and, and to do it successfully. So when you get out of the fury of the moment and when you get some, some distance between you and, and, and you get up above things, you can put everything together. And a, a recipe kind of does a similar thing. Um, it takes individual ingredients of a dish and gives guidance for how to put them together so that they make a wonderful meal. 
It gives you the amounts of each one that you should use, each ingredient that you should use, and when you should put it in, and how you should mix it, and what tools you should use to, to bring it all together, uh, what temperature to set the oven at if you're baking it. I mean, it, it just gives you all, all of these directions in order to, to pull together this just delectable casserole or, or treat. When you go to someone else's house for a meal and you just love something that they served, what, what do you ask for? You ask for the recipe. Yeah, you ask for the recipe. And why do we do this? Because we want to understand how that person put this dish together so that we can recreate this yummy meal. Because individually, those ingredients probably don't taste as great as they do together. I mean, some of them do. Like, you know, trying to think through what... Like, if you had to put, like, candy pecans like in something, like that would be pretty good on its own. But flour on its own... Not, not so great. Vanilla extract on its own, probably not something you just really crave, right? Like, but when you put all those things together, they just make this incredible meal. Well, we're standing here in the 21st century America enjoying the benefit of salvation through Jesus. In him, and it's, our, our salvation is in him and him alone. And sometimes I f- think we forget how this wonderful gift came together for our benefit. Unless we're intentional, I think I oftentimes take for granted the thousands of years of history during which God brought about the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. How he used person after person and event after event, joy after joy, tragedy after tragedy, all to work together to usher in salvation for the world through Jesus. Forget how the Old Testament books were each written not only to their contemporaries, to instruct the people of their day on God's will, but that they were also, in this amazingly providential way, written for us to see God's plan of salvation in motion throughout history. God's plan of salvation was not an afterthought or a knee-jerk reaction responding to mankind's disobedience. It was His plan from the beginning of time. God, through Paul, makes this clear in Ephesians 1 when he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. If God chose us in Christ before the beginning of time, before the creation of the world, then that also means that he chose the pathway through which we would be saved. Meaning, as Paul says, we were chosen in Him, meaning in Jesus, that God planned for Jesus to save us before anything was created. And following the first acts of creation, God began putting events and people into place so that they would speak and lead His people toward the way, the truth, and the life. He never wanted His people to be surprised, but gave them signs all along history, so that they would be ready to hear and so that they would know when Jesus came. It wasn't a story made from the creation of man's mind, but a divinely planned and appointed design for the salvation of all mankind. Ruth is a part of that story, pointing not just to God's providence or to King David, but to Christ. This morning, we wanted to take a few moments to remind ourselves 
of this truth in a way to, to sum up Ruth in its greater biblical context. That, to remind us that, that God has always had in mind to bring Jesus into the world and he laced the message, that, this message all throughout the Bible. The message, the gospel message, even throughout the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth begins with these words from chapter 1. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. We mentioned this when we were going through chapter 1, but Ruth occurred during the same time as the book of the judges. And and during that time, judges ruled the world. There was no, or ruled the kingdom of God. There There was no king. And during this time, as in much of Israel's history, when the people strayed from God, what ended up happening was God would discipline them, just like a parent disciplines a child, not to punish them, but to get them back to doing right again. God disciplined Israel. So when they strayed from him, he he would do something that would, would bring them back. And during this time, what is happening is while judges ruled, there was famine, meaning Israel had strayed, God wanted them back, so he was bringing famine on the land to that end. And it's interesting to note um, that in the previous book, the book of Judges, it, it ends with, in those days, in Judges 21-25, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone just did as they saw fit. These books are linked. They're tied to, to one another. The people at the end of Judges had decided to cast off restraint to seek their own will, to do what they thought was best. None of us ever knows what is best, by the way. It, this is a, a process, a lifestyle that is destined to destruction. When we live based on what we know to be good, we get ourselves in trouble. And in Ruth 1, we find that there's famine in the land because the people were doing this. There was no king. They had cast off restraint. And God was trying to get them back. Because he loved the world. He loved his people. And he had a plan. It wasn't Israel's plan. That one led to destruction. But God's plan led to life. It led to Christ. And interestingly, it was a plan that would include all people, every nation, tribe, and tongue. God doesn't discriminate by nationality, language, or race, but he desires to use all of us that are open to him. And Ruth is a perfect example of that. So in a time of faithlessness among God's people, God brings a woman, uh, first of all, a woman, most of the characters in the Bible are men, uh, because it was a male-dominated society, but in this case, he used a woman, uh, and not just any woman, but a Moabite woman, a woman that was from a pagan society, that, a society that didn't recognize or love uh, God, the one true God. And, and, and he used her to advance the bloodline of the promised Messiah. He took Naomi with a husband and sons from the land of Israel, God's people, and brought her back. He took her to Moab, She lost everything that she had left, her husband and sons, and she came back to her land, the people of Israel, with this Moabite woman, a foreigner, a widow. And when she came back, Naomi says to herself, I want to, or to others, I went away full, but the Lord had brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. She went away full, but came back empty. She was so consumed by her sorrow that she had trouble seeing God's hand in the situation. She had trouble getting up above the battlefield of life to see the bigger picture, what was really going on. What she couldn't see was that God was really working. In a time of faithlessness among his people, this is actually a quote from Nikki. In a time of faithlessness among his people, God brings a woman, a Moabite woman, from a land of other gods to advance the bloodline of the promised Messiah. God had a plan and purpose for Naomi that she was not informed of, but saw only her current distress. There was something bigger going on in her life. And we talked about that. We talked about how oftentimes that's the truth for us. There's something bigger going on in our time of distress than than we want to give God credit for because we get so consumed by what, what's happening. But, but here specifically in the life of Ruth and Naomi, something bigger was going on, not just for them or even for their nation, but for all of mankind. God was readying them to bring forth uh, an heir to, to the Messiah, a, a, a family member of the Messiah, the bloodline of the Messiah. And that's incredible. Not only do we see God unfolding his plan of salvation through the relationship of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, but we also see God revealing the truths of the gospel through their everyday experiences and and the generality of their lives. We see him revealing his heart, his love, his ways, the principles of the good news of Jesus through the characters of this story itself. And through all these things, God points to the coming Christ, fixing our eyes on him, and his power to save us. See, like through this story, he, he, he teaches us the, the principle of repentance. The gospel principle of repentance, which, which points to Christ. And in chapter 1, we have the character Orpha, and she, she leaves her mother-in-law. She's, she's one of the two daughters-in-law of Naomi. And she, she leaves her. And she she goes back to her old ways, to her people, to her religion, her false gods. But Ruth chooses differently. Ruth chooses to stay with Naomi. In fact, the scripture says that she clings to her. She won't let her go. There was no other option for her. She completely turns from her old life in Moab to her life with Naomi in Israel. To her old life of sin to her new life of freedom in God. There's a total life change because her hope is now not just fixed on Naomi, her hope is fixed in God. This is what we were talking about with that quote that I read at the beginning of of the service. It changes us. She acts and she speaks differently. She lives in a new land. She has a new God. Everything is different in Ruth's life now. She even declares this change, this rejection of her old life, when she says this in in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Repentance, the idea of repentance is turning from what leads to death 
and turning to what leads to life. It results in a total life change. This is what Peter speaks of in Acts 3. When he he says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then, he says, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and turn to. It's a turning from the evil and turning to the holy and the good. Ruth turned from her old life. She turned to God. That's repentance. That instructs us today and and, and points to Jesus for all of Israel and those who would come after. But the foretelling of the gospel truth doesn't end there. After they return to Israel, God continues to speak of Jesus, this time in in regard to to his provision. Um, And um, through through the book of Ruth, he he speaks of Jesus through his provision for, for Ruth. And, and, you know, we're, we're all born into sin. And on our own, we are incapable of changing that, that situation. It's, I think I may have said it before, but I had a good friend one time that, that, that commented, the one thing you don't, have to, you don't have to teach your children to do is sin. They do it naturally. It's what they're born with. They just they know how to do it. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. As a result, to be righteous, to be good, to be what God requires of us, we have to be provided for. We can't change our situation. It must be provided for us. We, We can't will righteousness. We need it to be given. God does this for us. He provides what we need. He cares for just for us, just as he did Ruth. He comes to us before we ever come to him. Scripture says that while we were yet sinner, we're sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He provides what we can't provide for ourselves. And the same thing happens for Ruth. In Ruth chapter 3. We find these words, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose fields I find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. The NIV says, As it turned out, she was in his field, but it's translated in the New Living Translation that it happened happened. It didn't really just happen. The, the whole idea that the, the author's trying to convey is that it wasn't coincidence or circumstance. It didn't happen by accident. It was planned. The author of creation got her to that field. Got her to Boaz's field and provided for what she needed. And then this, this whole idea of provision that points to Christ comes up you know, again in, in the character of Boaz when he provides for her. He even goes so far as to say in Ruth chapter 2, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. 
Boaz provides for her selflessly and, and, and with this unmerited provision. And it points to Jesus. And then she goes on to respond to, like, to respond to Boaz's like, selfless and generous provision. Who am I that you would care for me, a foreigner? And this reminds me of John the Baptist when speaking of Jesus. And he said, and this is his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This week, um, Kate got a GoPro. She bought, bought it. She saved us for money, tons of money. And um, I was impressed. And she, she bought a GoPro. It's this tiny little camera. Um, take some pictures, but really it's known for its video. It's really like stable, and you can run with it and take good photos. You can take it under the water and take pictures underwater. And she's super excited. But the GoPro didn't come with a card, like a, a, a card, a memory card. And um, she had to buy that separately. She had enough for the GoPro, but not enough for the card. So she, she could have the camera, but she couldn't take pictures. And so um, one of us, Dottie, Dottie or I, um, said to her, um, we got you, we, 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 your SIM card came, or we got you, that we, we ordered the SIM card, and she, she looked at us, or the, the, the memory card, and she looked at us and said, but I can't afford that. And our response was, we know it's a gift. We wanted to provide for her something that she didn't deserve and that she couldn't provide for herself because we love her. And that's like what the gospel is about. It's about provision from one who has the ability and the desire to provide. And um, that's also the story of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth had nothing to offer. She, She didn't deserve to be cared for in the way Boaz was caring for her. But he did it. Because he had the ability and the desire And that points to the gospel. That points to Jesus. That is our God's character. The way that God provides for us through Christ is clearly displayed in the story of Ruth. And um, one of the ways that we are provided for is also pointed out, and that's, that's through redemption. This whole idea, the idea of redemption is it's an action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. And in Ruth 4, the Redeemer was required by law to redeem Ruth, right? And we we talked about that a little bit last week and, and even the week before. Yet he wasn't able or willing to do so. Even though it was his responsibility by law to do it, he wasn't able or, or, or willing. And what's kind of kind of cool about that is like that law was unable to redeem Ruth and Naomi in that moment. The law itself was unable to redeem them. And similarly, tie this to like the greater context. God's law found in the Old Testament is also powerless to save us. to save us from our sin. 
And Paul put it this way. He said, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law makes us aware that we are sinful, but it can't save us from our sin. We sometimes misunderstand this. I sometimes misunderstand this. And Paul clears it up when in Galatians he says this. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. What is meant there by the guardian, the law being the guardian, is that it pointed to, it directed us to Christ. The one who could actually save us, the one who could actually redeem us who could save us from our sin. The law pointed us to Him, to Jesus. And just as the the law of the Redeemer was unable to redeem Ruth, but another beyond the law, Boaz, came and redeemed her through marriage, Ruth was redeemed by Boaz. And so too, we are redeemed not by the law, but by grace, by Jesus. Jesus is the way to God. It's our union with Jesus, our attachment to Jesus, our identity, taking His name that is our salvation. Which leads us to yet, I guess, another allusion to Christ and the Gospel, and that's marriage. You know, the first thing God did after creating Adam and Eve was to unite people together. Adam and Eve, man and woman, together in marriage. They became one. And, and when we go to be with the Lord in the culmination of all things, we are also going to get this marriage celebration between us and Jesus, and, and we will become one. But the union of marriage symbolizes our union with Christ. I think we can overlook this, but we should never undervalue it. Marriage is so important. So important just to the the natural functioning of life because of God's design, but also it is so important to to maintain it and to to elevate it in the church because of how it directs us to Christ. Jesus, or God, even drew this connection between, between the two, between Jesus and marriage in Ephesians 5. And he, where he says this, and starting in 29, he says, After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. We don't have time to get into this really deeply this morning because we're quickly running out of time, but... But understanding marriage, understanding the love and commitment that Boaz and Ruth shared is key to understanding the gospel. If you don't get one, it's really hard to get the other. Their marriage, his redemption of her, Boaz's provision for her, they all point to the gospel. It all points to Christ. And that's kind of 
impart the point. I mean, it, it has value looking at it in its context and in its maybe direct meaning, but it also has a great deal of value when we put it together in its greater context. And we allow this book to point us to Jesus, help us to understand Jesus, to fall more in love with our God. As we close this morning, I think it's important to remember that the story of Ruth begins with the words, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. In those days, there was no king in Israel. The story ends with the words, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The story begins with pandemonium, with sin and rebellion. The people cast off restraint. They did what they thought was best. And as a result, they fell into sin. And God was disciplining them. Men and women just did whatever they wanted. And as a result, there was a lack of blessing from God. But the story that could have, maybe should have, ended in destruction of the family line of the greatest king of Israel's history. It should have ended. Ruth, or Naomi, went to Moab to escape this famine. Her husband and her sons died there. The family line effectively died in Moab. What should have been no more. God brought back to life. He brought them, Naomi and Ruth, from Moab back to Israel and breathed life back into this family line in such a way that their descendants went on to be Obed, to be Jesse, and then to be King David. But it didn't stop there. He breathed such life into that family line that down the line it went on to lead to Jesus himself. We can't miss, like, if we miss God's plan in the greater context, like his gospel plan in, in this book, we, we miss so much of this story. The Old Testament scriptures don't only speak to the time and place in which they were written, but they also speak to the coming Messiah. They speak to God's unchangeable character and and prophesy to the one who would come and live in human flesh, the God-man, Jesus himself. Jesus even said as much. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is in these and they, they testify about me, Jesus says. The Scriptures testify about me. And he was speaking to the Old Testament. And, and, and in Luke, he, he says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the Scriptures. The Scripture points to Jesus. Ruth points to to Jesus. We can't miss that. Jesus has always been and will always be. The scriptures spoke of him and still speak of him today. And they will continue to do that throughout all time and eternity. He has come, but he will also come again. That's something we were just talking about in youth group this morning. We finished out the book of Revelation. We talked about the new heaven and the new earth and how 
There's no temple in, in, in the new earth, in this, this city that God is going to create because God and Jesus are the temple and they will dwell with us. It's this, this beautiful picture of God writing what we made wrong in Genesis. We can't miss that. This life at times I know is really hard and for some of you right now I know it is incredibly hard, harder than it's ever been throughout the rest of your life. And I think from time to time because of those those challenges we're tempted to think that God is not real or He's not active or that He's just not around. But we have to reject those lies. We must look to the Scripture and see how He has always been active. How He's always been real. And that through how through all, every generation, Rus and ours still today, and, and, and in faith, we, we must live today in the hope of, of, of Jesus, but the hope of tomorrow. We have to look forward to, to the life that, that will be as a result of the life we live now. We can't forget that all of this is pointing to Jesus. Because as, in, as Revelation 21 says, there's this, this stream uh, or this river of life that runs in the, in the new earth, and its source is Jesus. Life does not come from a healthy lifestyle. It does not come from taking medicine. It does not come from going to doctors. Life comes from Jesus, true life. And that's why God was, was so adamant, was so careful to use all of this to point to Jesus because it is only in Him that we have life. It is only in Him that we have hope. And those things last not just here. but They last for all eternity. In fact, they get even sweeter in the eternity to come. And so our hope is that as, as we've gone through this, this book, you didn't just see some good people, Ruth and Boaz and even Naomi, but that you saw the hand of God. And you saw that how God is using this book to point beyond these people to His Son. Because it is only in His Son that we have what we need. It is only in His Son that we have life. So I, I want to um, pray for you. The worship team is going to come forward. We're going to close out there today. Um, and um, this is the end. This I promise this is the actual end of the book of Ruth. But I, I'd like to pray um, for you all. I know like some of our students are going to school for the first time. Right? Some of our students are going to a new school. You're going to middle school. You're going to high school. Or maybe some of you are going to college. Some of you are experiencing, adults are experiencing transition. Transition from jobs or relationships. Or um, you're, you're moving and you're, you're looking at different localities and meeting new people. And um, Some of you have experienced tragedy and hardship and heartache. And... Um, I'd like to take just a moment to pray for all of you that in the, the midst of your transition or 
in the midst of the hardship or in the midst of the fear that you're experiencing, that you will allow God to redirect your attention from the situation to Jesus. That you will allow Ruth and the entirety of his word to captivate us in such a way that he could redirect us so that we could be gazing upon the one who gives life and not the scary situation that will only bring death so that we can walk in hope and confidence so that we can be people of influence for him in this world. So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for the book of Ruth and for its greater, it's the meaning in its context, but also its meaning in the greater context of Scripture. I know that some of us, much like Ruth and Naomi, are experiencing transitions. Some of those transitions are like Ruth and Naomi's. They're just hardship and full of heartache. Man. Um, and, and, and they instill, if we're not careful, fear. Because we don't know what's going to be happening next. And so, Lord, I, I pray for, for those of us in that, that situation now that you would um, really take our spiritual eyes and fix them on you, that you would... Um, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us faith to trust you in the moment that, that we, much like Ruth, could just continue to take one step in front of the other and just keep going forward in, in faith, not looking to just get to the destination, but just be faithful in, in the moment and, and trust that, that you are in control and, and that you have something good uh, to, to do with our situation. I pray, Father, that you give us hope, not, not in ourselves, but in, in you, Jesus. And, and hope... For, for eternity, yes, but also hope for this moment that, that you have not left us, that you are right here with us just as you were for Ruth and Naomi. And Father, others of us are, 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 haven't experienced tragedy, but we are experiencing some type of transition, and that brings with it its, its, its own like level of anxiety. And so Lord, we, we would just humbly ask in Jesus' name that you would be with our brothers and sisters who are in that situation, whether it's a school transition or, or, or moving or, or a job transition or a relational transition, that, that, that may be good, but it's still unknown, and, and so it's, it's unsure. And Lord, I pray that you, in a similar way, would keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, so that, that we would walk in faith and, and, and not by sight, so that we would remember that, that it's, it's what really matters is, is you in us and, and our identity is in, is in you and, and not in ourselves or what we can accomplish or offer and that, that we could be people of influence for you in the places you take us to. And Father, I think even for us as a church, you know, we, we are continuing to transition and to move forward and, and, and we are excited about where you are taking us and what you are doing with us, but that, that, that future is... Is, is still unknown as it is for every congregation. And so we, we, we would just humbly ask that you would give us the faith to follow you into that unknown, to stand for you and to, to, to do what we need to do now to please you and to position ourselves to be in your will and to be um, of, of, of use to you in the places we find ourselves. So Lord, we, we love you. We thank you for your word and how it continually points us to you, Jesus. And we pray that as we close today, your Holy Spirit would continue to stay with us and continue to challenge us and provoke us toward greater faith. And, and it would, would keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, so that we could be trusting in true hope. And we, as people of faith, 
could be living victorious, holy, honorable lives for you and your glory. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this book. We thank you for your word. We just thank you for you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you please rise? We're going to sing one more song before we